Wow. Well, you know, it is a privilege. I, I see so many faces, and, and you all are a family to us, to our children. Uh, even I was thinking as Pastor Chad was announcing the Arabals and, and my manager, <laughs> Joanna, oh, I tease her sometimes because she's very, she's very good at looking after me, and so I call her my manager, so that's a joke. But anyway, Joanna, we're just so great to see what God is doing, what God is growing up. And uh, we're excited, again, about what God is going to do here and where God is leading us and what he's going to do and what God is doing in the world. Does anybody else sense that there are shiftings and things taking place in the world today, or is it just me? Yeah, okay, all right, so I'm not alone, good. <laughs> God is moving and God is shifting, and that's exciting because God is at work. That's exciting, and, and it's, for us, it's the, the, the challenge is, okay, God, how do we stay in line with what you're doing? How do we come into alignment with your work? So tonight, without further ado, we're going to get into what our topic. We're continuing. Actually, we're closing out tonight. Chad has given me the honor to close out this series of We Are the Temple and to talk to you tonight. And I, I wanted to just bring out some things that came to me in insight, but let me, let me go back to our our foundational passage that Pastor Chad gave us for this series. It's from 1 Corinthians chapter 6 and uh, verse 19, and it says this, do you not know that your bodies are the temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? You are not your own. You were bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your bodies. And as I was Thinking about that passage in the past few weeks, and as Chad has been teaching, that's just, I mean, that could be like the end of the message, just right there. Just drop that and, you know, what an amazing idea that our physical bodies, like the temple, like the tent of meeting, become the place where our spirit and the spirit of God meet and commune. Isn't that amazing? It's just an amazing concept to think that in this physical body, what, what he's linking here is, is this is where the spirit of God and our spirits meet and, and commune. And he uses this word uh, purposefully, again, to connect our role as the place for God's spirit to dwell, with our, as the place for the spirit of God to dwell with the role and the roles of the temple. And this is what Chad has been leading us through week after week is we, if how did you put it, Chad? If we are the temple, here, I'm going to read it, then we need to know what the temple was for. Quote, Pastor Chad, put that on Facebook, all right? <laughs> and so that's what this sermon, that's what the series has been about. So tonight I want to just take a moment, and I want to, again, from my own observations, I want to share a few thoughts with you. Anybody here, I will say this, I was an observant child, and uh, sometimes being an observant child, you end up saying things that your parents wish you didn't say. Anybody else have done that in your life? Because you just are very aware of the world around you, and then all of a sudden your mouth just opens, and your parents go, no, please don't do that. Okay, that's a di diversion. Anyway, um, I, I just like observe. My wife and I used to go, again, I'm from Florida. We used to like to actually just go to Disney World to just watch people. I don't know, that sounds weird, but it was fun for me anyway. I just, just watched people, and people, how they experienced things. It was just enjoyable. So there we go. Again, a aside. But I, as I was just reading through the texts tonight, 
And looking at the, some of the iterations of the temple or the tents that were the place of meeting, there was something that stuck out, with me, stuck out to me. And I saw, I, I saw it as consistent from the very first tent of meeting all the way to the temples that were built here in Jerusalem. So I want to rewind the clock a little bit. I want to go back to Exodus. And we're going to start there. I want to read to you tonight from Exodus chapter 33. So we're going to start in Exodus chapter 33, verse 7. Exodus 33, verse 7. It says this, Now Moses took a tent and set it up outside the camp, far away from the camp, and he called it the tent of meeting. Anyone who wanted to consult the Lord would go to the tent of meeting, for it was outside, that was outside the camp. And whenever Moses went out to the tent, all the people would stand up, each one at the door of his tent, and they would watch Moses until he entered the tent. And when Moses entered the tent, the pillar of cloud would come down and remain at the entrance to the tent, and the Lord would speak with Moses. All the people saw the pillar of cloud remaining at the entrance to the tent, and they would stand up, then bow and worship each one at the door of his tent. Now, for me, this is just a vivid picture. Can you see it in your mind? Can you see this? Moses is walking out of the camp, and the people are like, hey, where's he going? All right, we're watching. And he, he comes to the tent of meeting, and he enters, and then this pillar, this pillar comes and rests at the entrance. And, and in fact, the next verse, in verse 11, we're told that Joshua would accompany Moses and that Joshua would remain in the tent after Moses departed many times, that he would remain in the tent. Now, again, a few observations. And what I really want you to capture tonight, and this is the theme of what I want to talk to you about, is that everything that happened in this passage, except for when Moses goes into the tent, was visible. Everything that happened, except for when Moses goes into the tent, the people saw. Because they would see him walking out of the camp, and they would stand. They would see him walking to the tent of meeting. And then when he went into the tent, they would see the pillar, the cloud. And even though it says it was outside the camp, and it says far from the camp, it was still visible. And what I noticed in looking at the different versions, let's say, or the different constructions from the tent of meeting of Moses to the tabernacle, to the, to the tabernacle of David or the tent of David, to the, to the temples, every single one of them was visible. Every single one of them was visible. And Pastor, Sad, Pastor Chad has said this a few times, God doesn't do random. God doesn't do something by accident. There's a, there's a purpose there's a reason for this. And I just want to point out, when Moses was walking to the tent, there's one perception. And then when Moses goes in the tent, what the people are left to see is God. The people are left to see the pillar, the presence of God. And that brings us to the first point tonight. And I have three, and this is the first one. The temple existed to make God visible to the local community. Because why didn't God say to Moses, hey, go find a cave? 
go find a cave somewhere and come meet with me there where nobody will see it. In fact, Moses, don't go out during the day. Go at night when the people aren't paying attention. He didn't. And again, God's not random. There's a purpose. God wanted the people to see him coming out to meet with him. And this has to do with the calling of Israel. And we're gonna talk a little about this a little bit more as we get into this message a little more. Because the calling of an Israel was to be a light to the nations. They were to be visible. Again, we'll come back to that. God wanted the people of Israel to see Moses coming to meet with him. God wants our coming to meet with him to be visible to the community around us. And that's our theme is we are the temple. God wants our meeting with him to be visible. We are to make God visible to the local community, to our children, to our families, to those close to us. You might say, how do we do that? We're gonna talk a little bit about that at the end. Someone might say, well, wait a minute. Pastor Vaco actually mentioned this in the offering. Aren't we supposed to do stuff in secret? Are we supposed to do stuff in secret? So wait a minute. Here's, I got a problem here, Pastor Ray, because we're supposed to do stuff in secret. You're saying we're supposed to be visible. So what is it? So I want to read you two passages from the Gospels that highlight what I perceive as a tension that you feel when you hear these two things and go, wait a minute, what's going on? Um, that highlight this and, and kind of make it seem like there's a contradiction here. And I want to read the first one from, the, Mass, from the, the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 6. Matthew, chapter 6, beginning in verse 1. And Yeshua is saying, be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of people, to be seen by them. Otherwise, you will have no reward from your Father in heaven. So whenever you give to the poor, don't, give, don't sound a trumpet before you, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues or on the streets, to be applauded by people, I assure you they've got their reward. But when you give to the poor, don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing so that your giving may be in secret and your father who sees in secret will reward you. And then it continues in verse five. <clears throat> Whenever you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites because you love to... Oh, lost me, there we go. Because you love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by people, I assure you, they've got their reward. But when you pray, go into your private room, shut the door, and pray to your father who is in secret. And your father who sees in secret will reward you. And so we read these passages and we get this idea, again, well, we shouldn't do anything visibly. We should be operating our faith in private, in secret. But then, let me read you another passage, the words of Yeshua, in Luke chapter eight. It's also found in Mark chapter four, verse 21. This is Luke eight, verse 16. Yeshua said, no one, after lighting a lamp, covers it with a basket or puts it under a bed, but puts it on a lampstand so that those who come in may see its light. So we're going, well, which is it, Yeshua? Am I supposed to be visible or not visible? Well, what, what, I don't understand here. What's going on? And this is actually where this picture of Moses walking out to the tent of meeting is, is just beautiful to me. 
because it, it gives you, I believe it encapsulates, the picture encapsulates the words that Yeshua is trying to teach us. Okay? Because the people saw Moses coming to meet with God. But once he entered the tent, they didn't see anything. They only saw God. So there's a part of this that God desires to be visible, and there's a part of this that he desires to be between us and him. Now, let me, let me get to the real heart of this. In our immaturity, and this is what Yeshua is getting at, is in your immaturity, your tendency would be to do this. And let me give you this example. Moses walks out to the tent of meeting. He comes to the entrance and he says, hey, y'all. Guess right. I'm here. I'm meeting with God. That's what I'm doing. Y'all see me? I'm here to meet with God. This is what's going on. See, it's me. I just want to make sure you all know it's me. This is the heart of what Yeshua is getting at. He, God is not worried about us, people seeing us come to him. God is worried about when we come to him that we're telling people, hey, look at me. Look at me. This is what the heart of what Yeshua is getting at is make God visible, not yourself. Make God visible, not yourself. If you're making God visible, if you're coming before him and people are seeing that and they're going, okay, that's expressing something God wants. If you're bringing attention to yourself, that's not what God's heart is. Now, I want you to imagine on the flip side, what if Moses decided, eh, it's not very important to go meet with God. I'll go out maybe once a month. And the people of Israel never see him going to the tent of meeting. What message would that have sent to the people of Israel? They would have been like, well, why do we need this God? Because he don't even go out and talk to him. What, what are we doing here? And that's the flip side of this. So there's an importance to this. Now, I want to take an aside. I serve as a worship pastor, and I want to take an aside and talk to those of us that serve in worship ministry. But this not only applies to worship ministry, actually. This applies to any public gifting of ministry. <laughs> but it made very good sense. I was, I was having a conversation with Matan few weeks ago, and, and we were in this series, and Pastor Chad has been teaching, and, and the Lord just gave me this picture of a role sometimes that as we are leading congregational worship, uh, what our process is and how God leads us and what happens in immaturity. Remember this, Matan? All right. So sometimes when we're leading as worship leaders, when we're leading congregational worship, when we come into this place, we have no idea where you guys came from. We have no idea what happened to you before you walked in this building. We have no idea what your mind is on. So we actually have to kind of start outside. You remember the picture of the tabernacle? You had the outside, and then it went into the, the outer court, right? So we have to kind of come out and say, hey, guys, come on in. We're going to go into the courts, and we're going to start with praise, and we're going to come in, and we're going to praise the Lord. And we're, Come follow us. We're coming in, and we're going to praise the Lord, and we're going to enter his courts declaring who he is, what he's done, so that our hearts and our minds can align with the reality of who God is. Okay? 
And we start there, and then we say, hey, guys, we're going to bring you to the altar. And guess what? You see that sacrifice on the altar? Thank God that's not me. Thank God that that price has been paid through the person, through the blood, through the death and resurrection of Yeshua. And then we say, in humility, God, wash us clean. We come to the labor. God, wash us in our humbleness. Wash us. We repent for anything that we've done. We, we come before you in humility, God. And it's at this point, as we're bringing the people, we come to that curtain of the holy place, if you remember the, the picture. And here's where the immaturity kicks in. Because at that place, just as Moses, when he came to the tent of meeting, at that place, the tendency for an immature leader is to do this. Okay, guys, don't forget, I was the one that brought you here. Don't forget, it was me. We're about to go in. And hey, and even maybe even they go in and they say, hey, guys, just while you're in here, just remember, it was me who brought you here. Check out my Facebook, check out my Instagram. You know, it was me. This is the immaturity of it. But what we should be doing in that moment is we should basically be taking a step back with the people and saying, wow, look at God. Look at how amazing he is. This never gets old. Look at his beauty. Look at his glory. And just become part of that experience of experiencing meeting with him. But our immaturity fights against that. And this is this tension <laughs> that Yeshua is dealing with of make God visible. Bring people to God. Make God visible, not yourself. So are we doing that? And I'm just going to ask a few questions. Parents, your children see you regularly coming to meet God. Married couples, does your spouse see you regularly coming to meet God? Not because it makes you righteous or holy, but because you're putting God before them. You're keeping God in front of them just by coming to him. Does that make sense? Just by coming to him. Single, single people, do your friends, your close friends, see you coming to meet God regularly? Now, I want to jump forward in time. I'm going to kind of push through this to David. Now, we read in 2 Samuel chapter 24 that David, he buys this threshing floor, and he goes to build an altar before the Lord because God had sent a plague against the land due to disobedience. And it says that the angel of the Lord had been sent to release the plague on the people from Dan to Beersheba, from the north to the south. And the angel had extended his hand towards Jerusalem, but the Lord relents and stopped the angel at this threshing floor. And so David receives a word from the prophet, from prophet Gad, who was serving under David. And Gad tells him to go up and set up an altar to the Lord on this threshing floor. And we read this. In 2 Samuel chapter 4, verse 21, as Arunah said to David, why has my Lord the king come to his servant? And David replied, to buy the threshing floor from you in order to build an altar to the Lord so the plague on the people may be halted. 
So David buys this threshing floor. He sets up an altar to the Lord, and the plague halts. And we know that this site, Pastor Chad shared about this, this site had many significance throughout history for the, for the people of Israel, uh, all the way back to Abraham. So there was a historical connection to this place. And later we read that David decides in his zeal to bring the ark to Jerusalem, he brings in, he puts a tent there on this threshing floor and he puts the ark of the Lord. In First Chronicles chapter 16, it says this, they brought the ark of the Lord and placed it inside the tent David had pitched for it. And they offered burnt offerings and fellowship offerings in God's presence. Now again, this is another observation. Guys, can you put the picture up? Okay, so this is a picture of the city of David at the time of David, and you can see his palace there and the entrance there. And then the tabernacle, the tent, is all the way there on the top right corner, as you see, okay? And Jerusalem was an amazing city because on both sides, you had these natural valleys that gave a, a help of protection because an army would have to come up to fight on these other sides on the southern part of the city. So it was most vulnerable at the north, right? Now, I'm gonna, I'm gonna just, I am not a military strategist, nor am I trained in archeology. span So I'm just gonna make something that observed for me is common sense, okay? If, if David wanted to protect the ark, The place that he put it makes absolutely no sense. Because typically, the way I understand it, at this time, people built city walls around things they wanted to protect. People, resources, water. So if he had wanted to protect the ark and protect the tent, he would have put it in the city. But he puts it up on the threshing floor at the most vulnerable, vulnerable point of the city. And I remember a few years ago, I was at the City of David uh, excavation park there, near David, and the guide was talking. And he was talking about, again, the vulnerability from the north, and he was talking about you know, the watchman keeping watch. And I thought to myself, where was the tabernacle? And I thought to myself, the watchmen who were paying attention to the most vulnerable part of this city were looking out, and what were they seeing? The presence of God. Now, you may think that's an accident. <laughs> but again, there is no logical sense for him to put that there if he wanted to protect it. So which tells me he didn't think it needed protecting. In fact, if anything, he knew that was protecting him. How many Psalms do we read? The Lord is my shield. The Lord is my strength. Why did he bother to write these? I mean, it's one thing. Sometimes we say stuff, that was nice, that was good, but we don't write it down. He wanted people to know. Why? Because David wanted to make God visible. David wanted to make God visible. He wanted him to be in front of the people. And he wanted the people to know that the thing that is going to save you, the thing that is going to protect you is out there. 
Not in here. Because that's where his trust was. Read the Psalms. How many times to say, my hope, my trust is in the Lord. The temple existed to make God visible to their enemies. <laughs> this was kind of a statement for David. Because remember, the ark had been taken by the Philistines before. And they trucked it around and they were like, we, can, we don't want this thing, give it back. And they couldn't get rid of it. Right? And the people of Israel, had, they were worried like, oh my gosh, what are we going to do with all the ark anymore? We're all going to die. Okay, and they were, they were worried about this. But David is like, he don't care. He's like, yeah, put it out there. So God will take care of himself. In fact, God's going to take care of us. In fact, it's a statement to my enemies. You want to mess with me, you got to deal with him first. So the temple, this tabernacle in this context, existed to make God visible to the enemies. Now, later, Solomon would build walls and he would build a retaining wall around the temple. But guess what the difference was? Because in the time of David, the Levites were not doing their work in this place. But later, when the Levites come and they restore the Levitical practice, God had ordinances to protect the people. And they had to be reestablished. So things were put back in place actually to protect the people. So the walls and the things that were put in place were later put in to basically reinstate the separation that God demanded for the Levites. They were separate. They were holy. Their work needed to be separate from the people. So that comes later. So our enemies need to be reminded it's God who fights for us. We need to be putting God in front of us, putting God visible in front of us. We sing a song here, when I fight, I fight on my knees with my hands lifted high. The battle belongs to you. God, it's you that goes before me. And finally tonight, I want to close with this thought. That when the people of Israel entered the land that God had promised them with Joshua, there was a new calling on them. Because God said, when you enter your land, you're going to have a responsibility. And that was, again, we said this earlier, to be a light to the nations. So they were called to have this visibility as a meeting place for, with God. And so in that context, in that calling, Israel was called, just as the temple was made to make God visible to the nations. I've been reading in Ezekiel, my own time, and this passage just popped out at me a few weeks ago. Listen to this from Ezekiel chapter five, beginning in verse five. This is what the Lord says. I have set this Jerusalem in the center of the nations with countries all around her, but she has rebelled against my ordinances and more wickedness than the nations, with more wickedness than the nations and against my statues more than the countries that surround her. For her people have rejected my ordinances and have not walked in my statues. God put them there intentionally. He put them in this city. He placed them in this city with the intention of you are gonna be smack dab in the middle of the nations around you and they're going to see you. I want them to see you. 
I want you to make me visible to them. Because God always intended to bring the nations into his kingdom. A few weeks ago, Pastor Chad taught on the theme of house of prayer. The temple is a house of prayer. And he shared a story from Yeshua. And I want to read it to you again here from Matthew 21, verse 12. This is Matthew 21, beginning verse 12. Yeshua went into the temple complex and he drove out all those buying and selling in the temple and he overturned the money changers' tables and the chairs of those selling doves. And he said to them, it is written, my house will be called a house of prayer, but you are making it a den of thieves. Now, Yeshua here was quoting Isaiah 56 and it says this, I will bring them to my holy mountain and I will let them rejoice in my house of prayer. Their burnt offerings and sacrifices will be acceptable on my altar for my house will be called a house of prayer for all nations. This was a purpose. They were to be a light to the nations. They were to be here to to make God visible to the nations. And this is what was interesting to me as Pastor Chad was sharing a few weeks ago on this theme. Why was Yeshua so passionate when he goes in and he turns over the tables? Now, we know that the temple complex at that time, as built by Herod, was the biggest it had ever been. It had been grown. There was a lot of public spaces But outside the court of the men was what was considered the court of the Gentiles or the court of the women, outside. And then people from the nations were allowed to come into this place and to meet God. And what I understand and what I believe to be true is that these money changers had started to set up shop in this outer court. Who cares about the Gentiles? Whatever. Who cares? We'll set up in this space. We can use it, repurpose it. We'll have. And they had begun to set up shop in this outer court. And the reason why Yeshua was so frustrated is he said, you are denying your own calling because in this place you're preventing the people from the nations that would come to have the ability to see God. All they see is what you're selling. This is why he was so frustrated. Because you're denying the very calling that the Lord has put on you to bring people to a place to see God, to make God visible to the nations. Because this was one of the purposes of the temple, to make God visible to the nations. And that calling extends to us. We are to make God visible to the nations. Paul says it this way in his letter to the Corinthians, in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 18. Everything is from God who reconciled us to himself through the Messiah and gave us the ministry of reconciliation, the ministry of calling people back. the ministry of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors. You know what an ambassador is? Brother here, <laughs> who worked for the, the embassy here, 
The ambassador represents the place you come from, as if it was the president or the top leader of that country, right? Yeah. We are supposed to look like him. We're ambassadors. This is our calling. We are ambassadors for the Messiah, certain that God is appealing through us. We plead on the Messiah's behalf. Be reconciled to God. Let me show you him that you can be reconciled to him. Let me make him visible. So we are called to be representatives of God in the world around us. And I want to just recap tonight. We're called to make him visible, him, not us. We're called to make him visible in our local community, in our families, in our congregations, in our relationships. We're called to make him visible. We're called to make him visible to those that would be opposed to him. Not only for the sake of of challenge, but for the sake of see what you're opposing. (laughs) Make sure you know what you're coming up against. And we're to make him visible to the nations. So how do we do that? I just want to recap some of the places we've been in this journey of this study. We call people into his courts. Say, come with me. Let's, let's come before the Lord and let's praise him. Let's, let's go meet with him. We call him and we remind them of the altar, the great sacrifice that was made for us. We come humbly before the Lord with repentance at the labor. We aspire to look and carry the essence of the Messiah with us in our daily lives. And I want to say this. We encourage others by being willing to be washed first, just as Yeshua did. Yeshua said in his command, love, not because I'm telling you, but because I first did it. So we, we should come with that willingness to say, I'll go first. I'll go first. Come before you, Lord, to be washed by you, Holy Spirit. And we spend regular time partaking of the bread of his presence, what Pastor Chad taught us last week, so that his glory is visible upon us and in us. We facilitate and we participate in making a place for regular incense to be offered up before the Lord through prayer, through intercession. We receive the light of his revelation. We declare that to those in the darkness. This is our calling. Our desire should be for the people to see the cloud. When we walk into that meeting and the tent closes behind us, you don't need to see me anymore. You just need to see him. Because that's what's important. The desire is for people to see the cloud. We want to make him known. We want to make him visible. Amen? Amen. Can I pray for you tonight? Amen. Father, we thank you so much. 
Lord, for your intentionality in all of these things, Lord, the things that you established, the things that you created for these various places of meeting with you that we can learn from, that we can understand your desire for us, your, your purpose for us in our life, Lord, you're calling upon us as a people, as individuals, as families. And God, tonight I just pray for each one of us that our hearts would be in alignment with, we want to make you visible, God. We want to make you visible in the world around us. Let us walk, let us carry the essence of the character of the Messiah that would draw people into your presence. Give us courage, God. Give us wisdom. Father, for hearts or minds that feel like They've struggled to see you. Father, would you make yourself visible in this time? Reveal yourself in new ways, Lord. We thank you. We just thank you, Yeshua. We thank you for who you are. We give you the glory. In Yeshua's name, amen. I just want to make this an opportunity for anybody that wants to just receive extra prayer. We'll call our prayer team up tonight. We'll spend a few moments in prayer. If the Lord is speaking to you tonight, if the Lord has just been challenging you and you want someone to just agree with you in prayer, our team's gonna come and be down front for you tonight and encourage you. We're gonna go back into just a time of worship with the team and let's just be in in his presence. Let's just focus on him. Let's focus on the cloud for a few minutes together, okay? Amen. Okay.